Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. We're very excited to have you here. Now, today's episode is going to be based off of a question that somebody asked us in our Facebook group. What we're going to be discussing today is co-parenting and how do we navigate that. We're going to break it down into three sections. How do we set up healthy co-parenting? How do we maintain healthy co-parenting? And then what do we do if co-parenting ends up being toxic and unhealthy? And then how do we navigate that? Now, if you haven't already, there's a link in our description that can take you to our Facebook page. And if you'd like, you can join that and then you can get access to some of the discussions that we're having in there and you can ask questions and we might even be able to turn that into a podcast just like we're doing with this question that we were asked. I think it's important to note that this is going to be just very basic information about co-parenting because everyone's situation is different and you can dive into each of these categories deeper and deeper. So today really will just be this aerial view of co-parenting, knowing that there is so much more that we could dive into. Now, I think when we start talking about co-parenting, one of the most important things to understand is that a lot of emotions can go into this. And when you're engaging into co-parenting and you're trying to come from a place where I want to do what's best for the kids and I want to do what's healthy, just understanding that when you're trying to do that, a lot of your belief of what is right or what is fair or what is reasonable is going to be filtered through your emotions. So a lot of times what actually can happen is that you might actually believe that, hey, this is a fair thing, but it actually may come from an unfair place. And so if people looked at it objectively, they'd say, well, that's not really a fair thing. But in your situation, because you have a lot of emotional attachment to this, it's going to feel fair or right to you. And so when we're going through this, recognizing, first of all, okay, I might have a lot of emotions when it's coming up to this time of working together with somebody that I'm no longer with in order to co-parent our children. And if you want to start it off right and you want to start off in the right direction, I think the first order of operations is managing our emotions and then making sure our emotions in check before we jump into any of these other categories. Oh, for sure. And there's heightened emotions for you, but also being very aware that there's heightened emotions for your children as well, because there's a lot of emotions that they're feeling as far as alliances and allegiance, and maybe even seeing you struggle and feeling like, oh man, I got to be there for my mom or my dad. And so it really is, like Tim said, important to manage your own emotions and knowing that it is hard work to manage your emotions in and of itself. But knowing that one of your jobs is also helping your children manage their emotions 
and process through the grief that they're feeling, as well as navigating the different changes and the challenges that they're experiencing in having this new setup in the family. So these couple tips we're going to go through right now, this is the early phase when we're trying to set up a healthy co-parenting situation. So the first thing that we want to do, and again, all of these should be saturated with emotional management in every section. You want to make sure that you're managing your emotions because then it will make your implementation of any of these tips much more effective. So the first tip for setting up a healthy co-parenting relationship is having open communication. And so this is something where you want to make sure that you're very clear and open with what are the things that you want to do, what are the things that you don't want to do, but also the way that you communicate it is very important. You want to make sure that you're not using any type of demanding language, because if you add in demanding language, that's going to cause the other person to become much more resistant automatically. And a part of what can happen if we're not careful with the way that we communicate is we can open ourselves to a bunch more conflict. You can very quickly delve into the third category, which we're hoping to avoid, which is this toxic combative co-parenting style that a lot of people end up devolving into. So when you're communicating, you want to make sure that you're using gentle but clear phrasing with things. You want to make sure that your communication is open to insights and information from the other person that you're trying to work with, because that is setting you up for success as far as being able to communicate. Now, you may automatically have this feeling, well, they're not going to listen. They're not going to do what I want. Now, remember, the kind of overarching idea is emotional management. When those fears or those worries pop in, you got to manage those and say, no, I'm just going to try. I'm going to try to communicate and be clear and open to suggestion from them and make sure I'm using gentle language when I'm trying to communicate with them. And part of having this open communication is really figuring out with your ex or with the other parent how you're going to communicate. Is this going to be through email, texting, voicemail, face-to-face conversations, and making sure that you're open about what kind of things are you going to share? Because clearly there's logistical things like schedules that you have to take care of, but also being open about the communication about how your child is doing, how are they doing in school, what communication did the teacher share with you? You know, there's a lot of different just daily, day-to-day things that needs to be shared And just even initially setting up how that's going to happen. And I think going along with what you were just saying there, Ruth, about how are we going to communicate? And I would say, like, if you do it in phone or if you do it in person, it'd probably then be good to send each other a brief rundown of what you guys had discussed and what you guys had agreed you would do just to have it in writing. Because, again, people's memories aren't so great. And sometimes what happens is people can perceive the conversation differently. But if you say, hey, based on our conversation, what we agreed to is we were going to do like switch offs on Wednesday or we were going to we were going to set up this type of schedule or this type of rules and boundaries, that kind of a thing. It just helps everybody to understand, Okay, yeah, here's what we did say. And then on top of that, if there was a miscommunication when you're talking on the phone or in person and then you type it out and send it to the other person, that miscommunication will be relatively immediately identified. And then we need to communicate further through that. Okay. What did we misunderstand? Okay, you thought it was this. I thought it was this. But the thing is, it's important to catch that early because if it goes down six months down the line and now we try to revisit that and we're trying to remember a conversation that we had on the phone or in person, it's going to be very difficult. But if you have that where it's like, hey, we're just going to send each other a little bit of a breakdown of what we had discussed so that we can have a record of it so that we just remember what we both agreed to to keep us both honest, then that's a great place to start off from. 
And I think one point that I want to make sure that we make is that it's important that your child is never the primary source of information. So you're not going through your child often and saying, hey, make sure you tell your dad this or make sure you tell your mom this. Because your child is already experiencing a lot of emotions and you want them to be able to be a kid and not have to be this messenger because there's a lot of charged emotions for your child. And so you don't want them to have to bear the burden of all this information being passed back and forth. I think co-parenting is a difficult enough thing for adults, but then, yeah, putting that burden on the child, it's kind of unfair to them and it puts them in a lose-lose situation, I think. The next tip is that consistency is key. You want to strive for having this consistency in rules, discipline, routines, and schedules between the households. And this is an ideal situation, right, where everyone is on board and we're going to have very consistent rules amongst both families. And we know that that's not always the case. But as much as you can, strive for that consistency. And especially early on, it's easy to feel guilty about all the different changes. And so going on extra fun dates and making sure all these things are happening to distract your child. But for a while, it's okay and it's even important to do just normal daily things to create a new routine, but one that maybe isn't such a drastic change from what they're familiar with to kind of keep some form of consistency for them. And I think, too, right at the beginning, that consistency is also important for the adults and just taking some time where it's like, hey, can we just agree for the first couple of months we're not going to do any type of day swapping or anything like that? Let's just stick to the plan for just a little bit. And then after two or three months and set a specific date on it, hey, then we can ask for changes. Let's just get this routine set up that this is the way things are. And then we can work on shifting things as we've settled in a little bit. And I think a lot of times people... They want to be very accommodating, but then if you set it up where you're swapping super frequently and bumping around a lot, that it's inconsistent for the kids. But then also it can set up this idea that, hey, whenever I ask to swap, this is going to happen. And so then what happens is if then a swap is asked for and then you deny a swap, then it can cause a clash between those parents. But if you come to an agreement at the beginning, but hey, we're going to take two months and we're just not going to swap at all. My days are my days, your days are your days. We're just going to leave it there for two months. And then after that, then we'll open it up. Then you have created this consistent schedule. You kind of set a level of expectation. Swapping can be a great thing, but that this shouldn't be something we're doing super frequently or it shouldn't be an expectation. And you can set that up again just by being consistent at the beginning. And then you can open it up to more flexibility later. The next one is counseling and therapy. And I think there's multiple different places where this might need to be used. So one is a co-parenting type counseling session where you sit down and you have somebody kind of help mediate, help you work through that and help try to be impartial about what's fair, what might be unfair, that kind of a thing. But also, again, this overarching idea that we have about emotional management for yourself, that if you're really struggling with this situation and you have a lot of big emotions that are going on that you're having a hard time managing, making sure that you get in and get your own therapy so that you don't inject those emotions into the situation and then make the co-parenting situation not just more difficult for the other person, but more difficult for you and more difficult for your child. And then another thing to consider too is if your child is struggling with the breakup and with the splitting of the household, that getting them in for counseling. Now, I will say that a lot of times if the co-parenting situation is set up really well, the kids normally function pretty good. And I've seen situations where the kids definitely didn't seem to need counseling. 
but the parents really did their own work and they made sure that they were in a good spot and then they were supportive for the kids. And then they also had a relatively fair co-parenting situation set up. The kids almost didn't miss a beat when that had kind of happened. Now, there were some struggles that I've seen them have, but then because the parents were in a good spot, they were able to help the kid manage that. So they didn't need any outside help to assist them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be therapy, but there are other resources out there. And one of the things that you can consider is co-parenting classes, where they can really help to provide tools, strategies that help to navigate this new dynamic effectively. Because for a lot of people, this is really new ground that they have not covered yet. And so having people that have experienced this and can go before them and offer them tools can be very useful. And I would say that's definitely something that you would want to engage into as opposed to asking friends or family for what's fair or what's reasonable or what should we do. Because what I've seen is the majority of people really navigate this in very unhealthy ways. And a lot of their own traumas or their own emotions get triggered off in this event. So what they tend to want is try to control the situation when it should be a collaborative situation or they're feeling like they're being abandoned and then it caused them to want to fight or to argue or something along those lines. And so a lot of times if you're recounting what's going on for you and you're talking to your friends and family about it, they're not necessarily going to give you the best advice. They're a lot of times going to give you advice where it's like, hey, this is how you reap justice for yourself. But in this situation, your goal shouldn't be to get justice. It should be to, hey, I want to do what's fair and what can help this new relationship be as healthy as possible. Next tip is to stay neutral. And this can be really difficult, especially when it was a divorce that was very contentious. But for the child's sake, especially, you want to avoid speaking negatively about the other parent in front of the child, even when you hear that they've been saying things about you. So there's a term that people run into a lot. It's called alienation of affection, where one parent might be just bad-mouthing and bad-mouthing and bad-mouthing and literally trying to turn your child against you to make them not like you. And that definitely can be a very scary thing. If you're talking about the other parent, you can run into the possibility where then your child can get upset and angry at you for talking bad about somebody that they love. And I think this is important to understand is that they love both of you. And when you are talking bad to your child about the other parent, that you are then wounding that child. And if you have the end goal of trying to separate them, you may accomplish that goal, but you are doing it at the expense of the mental health of that child. And so one of the things is that that child should be the highest priority in this situation. And this is why this is tough, because those emotions, they get in and they can cause us to do things that are counterintuitive for what we want. I think if you ask parents who are talking bad about the other parent to the child, that all of them would say they want the best things for their kids and they want their kids to be healthy. But then when you look at some of the actions that we're doing, our emotions can drive us to do these certain behaviors that are actually hurting the very person that we're trying to do the best for. And I think this part can be very difficult and scary too, because especially if your ex now has a new partner or you have a new partner, a lot of times the other person can feel like, oh no, I'm being replaced in my child's life. And then that can elicit all kinds of fear and trigger points for you in those moments. But I do think the best cure for the fear that you have is just continuing to be the best parent you can be, just doing healthy parenting techniques and regularly engaging and connecting with your child. And then knowing that a biological parent who does this is not going to be replaced. The child is not going to choose somebody else over that person. But if you let those insecurities really kind of get in and you allow it to 
cause you to do negative, unhealthy behaviors, and then the other person is doing these healthier behaviors, you might get this situation where they do lean towards maybe a new step-parent. And so your best solution to protecting yourself from that is just staying healthy with your child, doing good, healthy, connecting things with your child, and then you shouldn't have anything to worry about. And going back to the not talking badly about the other parent, it really is important for your child because their whole world has just changed. And Tim's absolutely right that you have to think first and foremost of this child. And that can be so challenging when you feel hurt and you're resentful and bitter at the other person. But you have to set aside that hurt and resentment for the sake of your child. And you may be really grasping and trying to make sure that your child knows how much you love them and how good of a parent you are by cutting down the other person and by making sure they know that all the faults of the other person. But that really puts a huge burden on your child. And we really aren't trying to have your child choose between you or the other person, that alienation of affection that Tim was talking about. But it's understanding that your relationship with your ex or your relationship with the other parent is totally separate from your child's relationship with them. And you have to put that aside for the sake of your child. And the last thing we're going to talk about for setting up a good co-parenting relationship is having a parenting plan, something that's clear and written out, covers the custody schedules, holidays, medical decisions, and other important considerations that you may have. And this last one that we're talking about is directly related to the first one, just clear communication. And so with this parenting plan, the more clear that you can make it, the more likely that both of you are going to comply to that. And the more that both of you comply to that, the better you're going to feel about that situation. But if it's unclear and there's a lot of room for interpreting it in an incorrect way or a different way, the more likely that is going to erupt conflict between the two of you. And then again, very quickly, this can decay into a very unhealthy, toxic engagement. So when you're trying to go the correct direction with this, where you're trying to have this good, healthy co-parenting engagement, it is very important to have these clear understandings of what are the schedules, what are we agreeing to, and then how are we going to implement this? So we're going to end here on today's episode. But just to kind of recap, we were talking about today setting up co-parenting for success in that early phase. So the first thing is open communication. Number two is consistency. Number three is seeking out resources, whether it's counseling and therapy or co-parenting classes. Number four is to stay neutral and avoid speaking negatively about the other parent in front of the child. And number five is to have a parenting plan that is a clear agreement between both parents. So in the next episode, we're going to pick up and talk about maintaining a healthy co-parenting relationship. So this really was just kind of setting it up for success. And the next one, we're going to talk about continuing on with that and maintaining it for the long haul. And in the episode after that, we're going to address toxic and combative co-parenting. So thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, 
just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone. Help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.